Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you so much that you provide so much money for this church. Thank you so much for all the examples that Marcus has just given us of where that money is going. Money is just coupons, Father, that you give us to get through this life before the heavenly treasure. And we pray that we would use it well. Jesus, we love your word. We love you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, good evening, everyone. We doing all right? We are actually coming to the end of the I Am Statements series in the evening service. Um, If it's your first time here, you've missed it, you can listen to it online. Maybe you've been coming along the whole time and you've been checking in with Jesus week by week to find out who he says he is. Maybe you come to the morning service and the evening service most Sundays and you will have found that actually we've been looking at Jesus and his gospels a lot as a church family together. That's a wonderful thing. But what do you think God's saying to us as a family? As we're looking at Jesus, as we're looking at our King in this much detail, you know, when you're putting together preaching rotors and the million rotors that make up a modern evangelical Anglican church in Blackheath, there are lots of things that are kind of out of your control and just happen. You know, you can control who's doing what on each rotor. You can make your decisions about morning services and evening services and who's going to be playing. And um, and normally the answer is Janelle. Um, But who's going to be doing um, the various bits and bobs? But there are some things in the life of a church family, despite our best efforts, that we are not in control of. And it just so happens that the Holy Spirit has led this family to be focusing on Jesus in this moment and both the morning series and the evening series are going to continue but for you if you're coming to the evening service and this is your main corporate worship of the week this is the last opportunity you're going to have led from the front to look specifically at what Jesus says about himself for a while. Next week, and I'm not going to steal Andrew's thunder, but we're going to be looking at an Old Testament story, a narrative, a um, thing that happened about Jesus' great, 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 great. I think if you say great, great, great 33 times, then that's who Ruth was to Jesus, his great, 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 great grandmother. And we're going to be finding out about a lot of the stuff, the preamble to what we're seeing in Jesus here. But for now, for tonight, we're going to have one last look specifically at our King. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 15. Do look it up. Do have it open as we go. I know it's on the screen. It won't be on the screen the whole time. So do look it up in the Bibles. There are loads around in the pews as well because we're going to be referring to it quite a bit. Let me find this reading for us. John chapter 15. And it is verses 1 through to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, 
he pr- that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father. I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So loads and loads and loads of looking at Jesus at this point in time. Let's take a look at another point in Jesus' life. This is a a great story from the early years. In fact, it's the only thing we really know about Jesus when he was in the, the same age as someone that would have been in fuel. Um, that's our uh, year sevens to year nines group. So Jesus was fuel age at this point. Do you remember the story of when Mary and Joseph were on their way back from the temple and they realised that they thought that Jesus was kind of with the general crowd they were with and he had disappeared. They didn't know where he was they'd completely lost him. Do you remember that story? So for any parent, you will have had that moment where, like normally it's actually with smaller children, and that where you think, oh my goodness, where are they? You cannot see them. Your heart is in your mouth for a moment. It feels like life is over, right? And then suddenly you find them perfectly fine without you doing something else. Mary and Joseph had this this moment. And they then go all the way back to the temple and that's a retrace their steps basically which is kind of what you do when you lose a kid you retrace your steps and then they found Jesus in the temple you remember this story and then Jesus gives them I think that they arrive and they're like what have you done you have really scared us we get a kind of redacted version I'd imagine Mary had a lot more to say most mums do in moments like this but she basically said where where have you been and Jesus gives the mother of all back chats it would seem He, he, he really gets back in their face it would seem he says 
why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Wow, young people, don't give back chat to your parents. You aren't Jesus. You can't get away with it. You see, to, to kind of misquote a famous thing that was once said, Jesus wasn't a very naughty boy. He was the Messiah. And this was a moment, an incredibly complex moment for Mary and for Joseph. You see, they'd been walking with Jesus for quite some time. And what they were learning about Jesus in this moment was maybe not totally new, but it would have hit them like a ton of bricks. When you hear Jesus say stuff like he said in this passage, and we'll be looking at it in detail, when you hear Jesus speak very seriously about who he is and what you need to do about it, sometimes it can be a little bit like, well, I've been walking with Jesus and I thought I knew him and now he's just said something to me that has totally changed my perspective and I struggle with that. Maybe not like a mother would struggle with a child potentially giving back chat, but certainly, as it says in this passage, a friend that has suddenly gotten pretty full on with you and is starting to look a little bit more like a king, a powerful person that has something very real to say that might just be able to change your life. As we've looked across this series, there's been a really important word, a surprisingly important word, actually, and that word has been the or the. It's been one of the most important words that we've looked at, a simple little word, but a really, really important one. You see, all of these I am statements, it's not I am a good shepherd. It's not I am a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. In fact, Matt was talking on that, Matt Baker was talking on that, he just sat at the back there, um, a few weeks ago. And immediately after he spoke about it, Richard, who's someone else that speaks sometimes in the evening service, went over to Matt and then came to me after and said, that is the thing that I want to speak about next week as well. And I was like, well, you know what? It's, It's actually what I want to speak about as well when I'm talking about Jesus saying that he is the true vine. He's not putting himself alongside anyone else. He's saying he's the thing, the thing, the only thing, the definite article, the definitely God, the thing. There is no other other than Jesus. And here we've got a double whammy. We've got a double whammy because he's calling himself a vine. In fact, he's calling himself the vine. And we'll come back to why that is really, really, really not a good idea in his context if you're looking to make friends. But he also uses this other really important thing. He says, I am. I am thee. Now, there's there's a rapper out there that you hopefully haven't listened to. In, In my earlier years, I did listen to him because I went through a phase as a teenager where I didn't care what I listened to and what God thought about it, and that I now do care what God thinks about what I listen to. But his name's Eminem, and he was an incredibly good rapper. He was also really, really filthy-minded. He was also, he swore all the time, he was violent, and he was a bit toxic, to be honest. But he did have this 
phrase or this song. He used to sing this song or rap this song. I'm not going to rap. I'm just going to say the words. Don't worry. Um, I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would I say I am? I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would you say I am? And this was his response to all the media attention that he was getting. And this is the opposite to what Jesus says. Rather than just throwing his hands up and going, you know what, say whatever you like about me. I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would I say I am? That's someone that has no real identity, right? They're just someone that doesn't want to know. Jesus is saying, I am whoever I say I am. And if I wasn't, then why would I say I am? Well, the reason he says I am is Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses asked God, what's your name? And God says, my name is I am. When they ask who sent you, you tell them that I am sent you. So for Jesus to go round saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, constantly, to us might just sound like a simple phrase, but within his context, he's saying God. God, the Father, the one you follow, the one you follow. You need to constantly look at me and think about your heavenly Father. I am, I am, I am. That's point number one. We've got Jesus saying that he's the only one. We've got Jesus saying that he is God by saying this. But this is, like I said, a real double whammy of an insulting thing for Jesus to say because he says that he is the true vine. Why is this particularly insulting, potentially, if you are a first century Jew? Well, it's because actually, if you're a first century Jew, you think you're the vine, actually. That was their mentality. Israel is the vine, and they weren't wrong. They had been referred to as the vine that God plucked from Egypt and planted in the promised land throughout their history. Psalm 80, Isaiah chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 2, Ezekiel 15, 17, and 19, and in Hosea chapter 10, time and time again, these people knew that they were the vine, they were the vine, they were the vine. So you've got this person going around saying, I am God and I am the true vine. Chances are that they're either going to think that he thinks that he is God, which they would think is blasphemous, or he would think that they are the false vine. Could you imagine if I got up here tonight and said, I am the true church? If that was my main point tonight, I was talking about myself and I said, I am the true church. You would come away thinking I had a massive ego, wouldn't you? And that was the reaction that Jesus was getting from people. We in our home group... Recently, actually, we're looking at the transfiguration. And the transfiguration was a moment where Jesus went up a mountain and he was meeting with 
those who had gone before him. He met with Moses, he met with Elijah, he took some disciples, and it was a huge moment for Jesus, a moment where his disciples were realising that just maybe this guy was God, right? And in our home group, we actually, before we looked at the transfiguration, wrote a list of things we knew about Jesus. And then we saw how once you'd read that moment, in the transfiguration, we knew far more about Jesus. And this is one of those moments. If you were to write a list of things Jesus is, then the I am statements could really populate that list. How comfortable are you with the way that Jesus describes himself? He describes himself as exclusively the vine. No pluralism, just him, the one vine. That's in verse 1 of chapter 15. In verse 2, he says that you can be cut off from that vine. Are you comfortable with that? Are you feeling a little bit like Mary yet, where she's a bit panicked by Jesus hitting her with the truth that a 12-year-old son is God? Your friend Jesus, he's God. How do you feel about what he's saying about this? In verse 2 as well, let me read it to you. It seems like... We're in the vine and whether or not we get cut off is based on the results that God sees from us. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Did you realise you had an appraisal coming up? Is that, part of, is that part of your psychology? Is that how we take that? Is that part of your spirituality? How do you feel about a God that cuts stuff off if it's not bearing any fruit? Is it new? This is our friend, Jesus, speaking. The cut-off bits get thrown into a fire and burned in verse 6. How comfortable are you with that imagery there? How comfortable are you about, with the severity of what Jesus is saying there, that some bits will be considered useless? In verse 8, he says that your life is to glorify God only, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He says that all this fruit that you bear from being in the vine isn't for your own glory. It's not about you at all. It is purely for the glory of God. It's severe, isn't it? It's very real. These are big statements. Um, You have to step up and show yourself to be a disciple. Again, in verse 8, show yourselves to be a disciple. This is Jesus getting in people's face, isn't it? This is saying, Jesus saying, step up. You've got to do something. This is a little bit on you in some ways. Not always comfortable. You have to keep Jesus' commands. Verse 9, um, Uh, Sorry, verse 10, sorry. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Wow, if you keep my commands, if you do the stuff I've told you to do, then you remain in my love. Now we know that this is not the whole picture and Jesus is speaking specifically in this one moment, but it's there, isn't it? It's there. You're my friend if you do what I say. Verse 14, 
You are my friends if you do what I command. How do we feel after that list? And don't worry, it's going to get a bit lighter this evening. Don't worry. But how do we feel after that? This is the work of scripture in our hearts. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable with all of that, that is entirely where my home group was at when we were looking at the transfiguration and reckoning with Jesus, God, Jesus. We had a full discussion about how we react when we see Jesus really go for it. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, right, there is a wizard called Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. And there are a few moments where he uses this phrase, be careful or you're going to see Gandalf uncloaked. And that basically always means Gandalf's getting angry and he's going to do something really powerful if you don't show him a little bit more respect. Jesus has many, many, many moments in his ministry where he just takes control and he just takes charge. My favourite of these is when he's about to be arrested and one of his disciples chops off the ear of the guard that's going to arrest him and Jesus says, don't you know that I could bring down an army of angels to protect me if I needed to? In the same way that back in Daniel, you hear the archangel Michael talk about the armies of the angels of God working things out in this world. Jesus is much bigger. How does Jesus stack up as a leader in 2023? When I'm not at church or at home, it's my job in the organisation that I run to be a leader. And so I do a lot of leadership training. I take a lot of leadership advice I speak to a lot of other leaders and the things that they tell me to do as a leader and they do work and it also this is kind of advice for someone that's not God by the way because I'm not God but me me leading something they tell me to collaborate they tell me to think about team they tell me to communicate well they tell me to make as many decisions as I can in a consultative way so that you bring people on the journey How's Jesus doing so far tonight of bringing you on the journey? This isn't our culture, is it? What Jesus is doing here isn't really 2023 culture at all. But then there's another side to this. There's the intimacy. We've had the strong stuff. We've had the no-holds-barred stuff. But take a look at these verses in chapter 15. Verse 4, remain in me as I remain in you. In each other. The most intimate possible relationship. Fruit comes from that deep relationship. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Let me read them to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That intimacy with Jesus, who is this clear about who he is, 
is absolutely key. And without it, all of these statements that Jesus makes about himself, all of these definites that he's saying, all of these blacks and whites that he's putting out there, all of them are utterly meaningless without this intimacy. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted in verse 7. We have the ear of God. Have you ever been in the position where you know the person in charge is listening to you and that if you say something to them, it matters? Have you ever been in the position, perhaps at work, where the person in charge doesn't care what you think and no matter what you say in a meeting, no matter how you pitch stuff to them, even if you are right and the people they like are wrong, they're never going to go with you because you don't have their ear. With Jesus, with the Father, we have his ear. We have that positive relationship. He does listen to us. In verse 8, the word disciple is used. A disciple is not just a follower. A disciple is someone that is following something or someone and wants to become that person. That's the difference. We're not just saying, wow, isn't Jesus good? I'm going to be in his gang and he'll protect me. We're saying, I am going to become Jesus. Which means that not only do we start at a moment of incredible intimacy, but we are getting ever closer to Jesus as we become more like him. And then this is the one that blows my mind. Jesus loves you as the Father loves him. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus could not be closer to his Father. He says... I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's what he says about himself. And now we're seeing that we have that same relationship with Jesus, that same love that existed between the Son or exists between the Son and the Father, exists between us and Jesus. And then again in verse 16. We have his ear. Whatever you ask will be given. Now, there are two ways you can take this, right? If my friend said to me, uh, right, I've, I've, I've met this girl and she's been really, really clear with me about where I stand with her and she's very much in charge and if I stick to what she says, she says I can be her boyfriend, Right? Um, and like, instantly I'll be looking at my wife, Chloe, going, we need to get him out of this relationship. This is, this is a problem. And then we say, well, that sounds a bit full on, mate, actually. Uh, that's, that's not really how our relationship works unless one of us is in a mood and then it does work like that until we forgive each other. But that's not really how a relationship should work. And then he says, oh, no, but don't worry. Don't worry about all of this. They've told me how close we are. And we're like, right, okay, that's manipulative. You know? And they've said 
that um, we should really become as like each other as possible, you know? And all couples become exactly the same, by the way. That does happen over time, but you shouldn't be trying to destroy each other's individuality, should you? And then, this is the clincher, they've said, if I'm a good boy, if I ask for something, I can have it. Is that not the very definition of a controlling relationship? Is that not a really worrying position to be in? Honestly, if a friend came to you and said that was their position, you'd be seriously worried. So you could take this, and people do, that God is a manipulative controller that is saying to us, do what I say, and along the way, you'll get some good stuff. You could take it like that. Except for, we believe that God is God. We believe that God is absolute. We believe that Jesus is the vine. Those bits of the vine that get thrown into the fire, those bits that fall off of the vine, those bits that decide the vine is not the vine and try other vines, or we could extend that that metaphor as much as you like, but they've actually separated themselves from the only source of life. We come back to this on a Wednesday evening with the young people time and time and time again. If you believe that God is the actual source of all, if you believe he is the I am, if you believe that he is absolute and that is your choice, if you've looked at these statements and said, you are these things. You thought, I believe this. I am a disciple of Jesus. I do follow Jesus. If he is that absolute, then this is not a controlling relationship. This is not a I give a little, you give a little kind of relationship. Although there is a beautiful part of a relationship with God where he does in his grace work with us. But we're dealing with the I am. When you are talking about Jesus, you are talking about God. Does that make sense? If Jesus is right about what he's saying about himself, and he is the vine, he is the life source, and that means that choosing to follow his commands is unlike choosing to follow the commands or wishes of any other being who might be wrong. This is full-on philosophical, theological stuff, right? But it's the source of absolutely everything. But so what? What do we do about this? We've learned all these things about Jesus. He says, I am this, and we believe it. He says, I am the vine, and we believe it. We see him as this life source. We believe it. We know that he's been very clear with us. But what do we actually do about this? I've got a few 
suggestions as to what one might do having done an I Am series. And just consider, that, consider them. You might have already reached your own conclusions about what you're going to do about all this stuff. One, you're on a journey with Jesus already. Every Sunday evening you've been coming here and having little moments where you've been finding out more about Jesus. You might actually just want to, in your head and your heart, say, I am going to look into Jesus more. And I don't mean you don't believe and then you're going to become a Christian. That might be the decision that you make. I mean, you might say, I've heard stuff about Jesus that I did not know and I feel a little bit like Mary faced with this 12-year-old that I thought I knew who's now telling me how I should behave and this isn't how my relationship used to feel with him and I need to find out more. You might be on, in that place. If that's you, talk to the leadership of this church. There are so many resources out there. You can look into Jesus more. Two, you could take half an hour, specifically with this passage this week, and you could work out how connected to the vine you actually think you are. You could write some areas of your life and just rate yourself, basically, not in a kind of low self-esteem beat yourself up way but just in an honest way where have I got to in my walk with Jesus how connected to this vine actually am I or am I just pew fodder that's on a load of rotors at church how connected to Jesus am I because we've heard here we pretty much need to be don't we you could take verse 8 from this passage which reads This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And remind yourself, as you go into those difficult moments, that you're going into them for God's glory as his disciple. You could memorise that verse. Or you could just start each day remembering that your Jesus is the I am. If you want the application that Jesus himself gives in this passage, if St John's as a family wants to learn anything from all of this, if we want to move as a family together knowing Jesus better, then you could start with 15 verse 17. This is my command love each other. You see, these I am statements speak of a God that's bigger than us, of a Jesus that's bigger than us, of a Jesus that requires things of us in a context of a world that is going to say very, very different things. In order to survive all of that and thrive in all of that, we're going to need to love one another. And so one final thought at the end of this We know who Jesus is. Who are you going to be? Amen.